because I got to just introduce that and remind you guys that I'm getting married in September as much as I can, can do, because I'm so excited for it. <laughs> I get the pleasure of introducing Pastor John uh, Lutman. He's our, he's our discipleship pastor, and he's over our Encore and, and men's discipleship. He is an awesome dude, 55-plus years of ministry full-time. He's amazing. He's going to be bringing the word tonight. Give it up for him. Give him your undivided attention, and give it up for Pastor John. Come on. Thank you. Wow, it's good to be with you guys. I want you to know when uh, Josh said, uh, how many of you going to be mature tonight? I didn't put my hand up because I'm not sure if I can accomplish that or not. But uh, no, seriously, it's great to be with you. And on behalf of our Encore in our church, Encore is people 55 years and older. And uh, the reason we chose Encore instead of being called the Golden Oldies or you know, the stragglers, or in England, they call us the wrinklies, you know. Instead of that, we chose Encore, because Encore means called back by an audience for a repeat performance that surpasses the first. So we believe that at our age, we are, we are useful to God and useful to His people, and we just wanted to hang out with you guys, because we need your energy. I tell you what, you guys are, that worship was powerful, I'm watching everybody going, and I did a few of those, and I, my heart's still beating, and I'm excited about that, but uh, it, it's, it's just so great to be with you. So we, we, we're the elderly party crashers, so we're here tonight crashing your party because we love you and we want to get to know you. Uh, Pastor Josh and I are going to be, uh, we're talking about different events throughout the year that we can hang out together, maybe a game night, things like that. So how many of you young people, all of you under 55, how many of you are cool if we join you from time to time and uh, just hang out? Let me hear. There we go. There we go. Okay, good. That's, that was all we needed to, to come back again. So, uh, well, I know that you've been uh, doing this series in Song of Solomon. And uh, up until now, I know that Pastor Josh has talked about the art of attraction. How many of you know what it's like to, if you're a guy, you see a girl, and it just it kind of something just goes, a little bit of an attraction there. And then maybe it gets, uh, when you're the, the right age, to dating, and then courtship. You get engaged, and you spend time uh, together uh, planning for your wedding day. And so I know you've had a great time, and then he gave me the one, the art of intimacy. And so I want you to know tonight that I will not say anything that isn't in the Bible, so don't get too nervous, okay? But let me tell you this about the Bible. God just talks about everything. I mean, nothing, nothing's off limits with God. He just talks about life and death and love and marriage and anger and, and uh, service and worship. So anyways, we're going to have... Uh, uh, a good time with this, but I, I'm, I'm just a little bit nervous because some of you think, you know, you're kind of old. Isn't it kind of weird for you to talk about this, you know? Well, I've got, we've got a picture here. I want you to know that my wife and I were teenagers just like you. This is, uh, come up here, honey. She hasn't changed a bit, but I have. So this was taken 56 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, we're still dating. I had hair back then. Can you see that? That was actually a beetle jacket I had on. And uh, so we were once teenagers, and we know how it is, even though it was a long time ago. Dale Fry said to me today, John, I know what you're talking on, and I'm praying for your memory tonight, he said. So uh, anyways, uh, so here we go. But uh, I want to tell you, my first couple times Jan and I were together, we, I just drove her home from youth group. 
And then that was our third date. We were going out to a school graduation, or church graduation banquet for school kids. And uh, I knocked on the door that was right behind that picture. I knocked on the door nervously because I'd never met her dad. And uh, the door opens. He says, what do you want? And I said, uh, well, I was here to pick up Jan for the banquet. And he said, uh, what, who are you? I said, I'm John Lutman. He said, she doesn't live here anymore. And he slammed the door. <laughs> then he opened it up with a big smile. He said, come on in, big bad John. I've heard all about you. So that's, that's kind of how it... That's kind of how it started, which was, was very, very much fun. But, so you've been talking about dating and, and pre-marriage passion under control. And uh, tonight we're going to look at chapter 4. going to try and move through it in about 20 minutes here. But uh, I wanted to uh, just read a scripture to you first of all that gives us uh, a good reason to talk about the subject we're talking about. To me, it's very very important. And at my age, it's very, very important to communicate to you the Word of God and what God has in mind for marriage and uh, the honeymoon and all those things. God's, God created all this idea of romance. And, uh, but there's a scripture in 2 Timothy I want to read to you just to set us up for what we're going to be reading here. Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a pastor. Paul's the older pastor. And he says, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures since your childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Then he makes this amazing statement, all Scripture, which means this book, from beginning to end, all Scripture is God-breathed. He's the one that sent the words for the people to write. It's useful. This is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses His Word to prepare and equip His people for every good work. Now, as we approach this subject of intimacy in marriage, I know it's a sensitive subject. It's private, although God wants us to understand what his purpose is. It can be even a little awkward to talk about, but I just want to say this right now. There's nothing dirty or unclean or unacceptable when God brings a man and a woman together and they properly date and they get married and they live a life that's pleasing to him. It's a beautiful thing. And the sexual side of marriage is a beautiful thing when it's done in the way that God has called us to. So let me just give you an illustration. Let's say this guy goes down uh, to, the, to the river. He's going down. There's a restaurant on the river right on the water. And he says, I'm just going to go down there and have some food. It's a beautiful night. And he's sitting there. And all of a sudden, an alligator leaps out of the river, grabs him by the leg, rips his leg off goes swimming away with his leg, and he's lying on there bleeding to death. The medics come. They save his life. And, uh, and people are saying, we've we got to do something about this. We've got to put a fence up here, get those alligators out of the way. And, and the owner of the restaurant says, you know, we don't talk about alligators around here. <laughs> a couple of days later, another uh, girl comes down. She's going to, for an evening meal, and she's sitting there by the river, and all of a sudden an alligator comes out and rips her arm right off. And, and the paramedics come, and they save her life. And, and, and they, the people are saying, you know, you've got to do something about this. It's alligators. And they say, you know, we don't talk about alligators around here. So after a while, 
There's people in the restaurant missing a leg, an arm, half their face because they don't talk about alligators. And you know, often in families and in churches, we're afraid to talk about God's plan and purpose for our sex- sexuality. And, and this, is, this is so important. In fact, I want to give you one more question here. There's two paths. Which one would you choose? First of all, there's a pathway. Let's say it's this one right out here. And it's a smooth path, and it's as you begin to walk this path, you've chosen this path. There's a path there and one here. You've chosen this one, and uh, it, it, it starts out, it's rocky, and it's tough, and there's some old broken down stumps and trees, and, and, and you, you keep climbing, and there's rattlesnakes in the road, and, and you keep on going, and, and there's all sorts of stuff to to make things miserable for you. It's a hard climb. There's no water. There's a cold wind. And when you get to the end of this this terrible uh, hike, you find yourself in a cave, locked in a cave, lost in a cave. And and you, you, you think, what in the world was I thinking? Or there's another path, and it's this one. You begin to walk. It's a smooth path. There's grass and flowers and butterflies and trees. And there's a deer feeding by the by the brook, and the sun is out, and there's blue or white, white clouds fluttering around, and you, as you go, you hear the singing of the birds, and you go to the end of this path, and you find yourself at the beach, and the waves are rolling in, and there's beautiful people there, and it's happiness and good food. I just want to ask you now, which path would you choose, the first one or the second one? Second one, right? Yeah. Somebody say, I'm an adventurer. I'd choose the first one. Well, so we have a path to choose. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, Josh, what's that clock going to say when I'm done? It says 727. I've got two minutes. (laughs) How many minutes do I have? Someone stand up and go like this when I'm done. So anyways, there's, so that's what we have to choose. And the thing that I want to Settle in your heart tonight. And young people, we love you guys. And, and we want the best for you. We want the very best for you. We want you to, in the right time, meet someone that will love you and adore you and be faithful to you and, and enjoy life together. We want that for you. And, and the bottom line is simply this. God wants you to wait until marriage to have sex. That's his plan. It's his best plan. And as I talk here in a few moments, as I wrap this up, I'm going to give you great hope because a lot of us in life have messed things up. But I'm here to tell you that God is a restorer of the mess. He's a cleanser of sin. He's someone that can take a broken and burnt out person that's about destroyed their life in in wrong relationships, and he will bring an innocence and a joy and can even bring a wedding day that will be absolutely beautiful and precious. But in the pathway, we want to do the right thing. So I'm going to go through this chapter really quick. And uh, so (laughs) I got one more thing. This is kind of interesting. In In our culture, so often you have a wedding, and when the bride and groom are leaving, they throw bird seed or rice all over them, and, and away they go, and you don't see them for a while. In the Jewish custom, and in the time that this book was written, what they did is the couple would say their marriage vows. They'd never had sex together. They'd never slept together. They'd say their marriage vows, and then they would, uh, while the rest of the wedding party and the guests were 
were having some fun there, they went off to a room right on the property, and for the first time, they had intimacy. Now, that's weird. That's a Hebrew custom. And what would happen is when they came out of the room, all the people would go, yay, like that, because they, <laughs> you know, kind of weird, you know, getting celebrated for that. Yippity-doo. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they knew what had happened in there. But um, here's the thing. He starts out like this. Solomon's talking about this amazing woman. He says, oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Now, I want to say, guys, just, just a little word here. When you get married, I wouldn't advise you to say your hair is like a flock of goats, but to the people in that culture, it was a good thing because the goats coming down the hill meant milk for the family, maybe meat for the family. It meant, it meant sales, uh, you know, for, if they were raising goats to sell. So it was a beautiful thing. So anyways, kind of weird. So anyways, her veil is still on and the groom unties it and her hair falls down her shoulders. And that's when he says that your hair is like a flock of goats. Now, verse two, I'm going to move quickly. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, <laughs> just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. What he's saying, I mean, he's doing all the talking now. She's just listening. So he's looking, he's looking at her. He's lifted the veil. He's just absolutely madly in love with this woman. And, he, and this is what he's saying. Her teeth are clean. <laughs> she brushed her teeth before the wedding. That was awesome. And they're all there. There were none missing. He says, they're, they're all there. They're, they're all in a row. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is getting out of hand here. But here's another thing. This is more serious. She is smiling. He wouldn't see her teeth if she wasn't smiling. She's grinning. He's just saying how beautiful you are, and she's just like this. And you know what? One of the reasons she's smiling is because she has no guilt, no shame, no self-disgust or self-loathing because of previous sexual messing up. She's absolutely like, this is so cool, and she's grinning away at this guy. And uh, so what, what, what she's saying is, this is fun. This is joy. And he's saying to you, what a beautiful smile you have. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. So there again, I don't, I guess maybe the pomegranates are kind of a rosy color. But he touches her leap, lips, he strokes her cheeks, and he admires her face. Verse 4. Now, I just want to back up a bit again. So, so they have had the wedding, and they're now away by themselves. Neither of them have had sex before, not with each other or not with anyone else. And so they're, they're in this situation where there's a lot of uncertainty and joy and excitement. And he says, your neck is like the Tower of David. I know you're going to keep laughing at these. But he was saying, he was saying literally, the woman is statuesque. She's beautiful. Her head is lifted high. She's proud and not ashamed. She's not beaten down by life and by people and by shame. She's saying, he's saying, with, with courses of stone on it hang a thousand shields, probably her necklace. Notice, he is beginning, he's starting from her head, her eyes, her teeth. He's beginning to undress his bride. Verse 5, uh, a little awkward here, but he says, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Now, you say, what in the world? Listen, he's, what he's saying is, is there's an innocence about you. 
And if two gazelles are by a pond and you want to go and touch these deer, you approach carefully. You approach gently and respectfully. So he's, he's saying this, and, and young men need to know this. On a honeymoon night, uh, it can be a little unnerving for a wife for the first time. Does not know exactly <laughs> what's going on, but there's an anticipation and a joy. Another thing is this, the husband, because he sees her, he's beginning to see her in her nakedness. He, he says, you know, I, I have a deep respect I'm not, this woman is not just to fulfill my sexual fantasies, but she is someone that I love and adore, that I'm going to serve and protect in every way I can. Verse 6, until the day breaks, until the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of incense. He's just saying this, she is a delight to him in every way. Did you know that in many cultures in the world, especially in the third world, the, 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 the thing of sexual intimacy between a man and wife is considered a necessary evil just to have babies. Women are even taught, don't even think of enjoying yourself. You're just, this is all about having kids. That is so against God's word. It's so terrible. In our culture, it's a different thing that's also become way out of control, and that is you need to have as much sex as you can, as often as you can, with as many people as you can. I read the other day of a university back east where every Monday morning they give all the men in the university seven condoms. What are they trying to say and teach? And what happens in the trail of that is heartbreak, disease, unwanted pregnancies, abortions, shame, and guilt just because the urges of a man are absolutely out of control, doesn't understand the beauty and the, and the amazing miracle of a woman and of marriage. So, verse 7, he continues on, You're altogether beautiful, my darling. There's no flaw in you. <laughs> I love this because I, I understand that just through studying and uh, maybe being married a long time through a beautiful lady, 53 years coming up, but there's most women have something about themselves they would change if they could. It's just something they, I don't know, maybe feet are too big or ears are too small. I don't know what, what it would be. But, the, but this, this man is assuring his bride, everything about you I love. You know, God does the same thing for us. He says, because of Jesus, he sees us as blameless, as perfect as absolutely lovely in his sight. There's nothing about you and me that he would change. Can you, I hear you say just kind of like, dude, that's awesome or something like that. That's, that's God. So God says, be like Jesus is towards us. Say that to your bride when you get married. You're altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Then in verse 8, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Armana from the top of Shamir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's den, and the mountain of leopards. He's saying to her, now that we're married, now that we're alone, now that we can enjoy one another intimately, he's saying this, come from any frightening place you've been, anything in your past that has frightened you or disturbed you, fears you've had, dangers you've gone through. He's saying, you're going to be safe with me. I will always be there for you. Verse 9, you've stolen my heart, my treasure. 
My bride, some translations say my sister. It really means my treasure. It was an endearing term. You have stolen my heart, my treasure, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. He's saying, baby, you make my heart beat faster. <laughs> you make my heart beat faster. Looking into her eyes, and she looks deeply into his eyes, and the purity of their love and the simplicity of um, their, their life right now together he looks into her eyes and he says, you just stole my heart right out of my chest. I mean, some, it's, it's so romantic, isn't it? I'm kind of getting caught up in this. But uh, <clears throat> first, I got to look at Jan when I'm saying this for sure. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume is more fragrant than spices. You'll notice on their honeymoon night, you'll notice that all of the senses are mentioned. He's saying that it speaks of touch, smell, the, the, the perfumes, taste, the kisses, sight, and hearing. In verse 11, he says, Your lips are sweet nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes as the cedars of Lebanon. They kiss. And this is the best kiss they've ever had in their life. And that's how you want, young people, that's how you want your honeymoon to be. That's how you want your marriage to be. Verse 12 to 14, you are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates. Here we go again. You can chuckle at that one. <clears throat> with rare spices, henna with nard, nard with saffron, fragrant calamus with cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, and every other lovely spice. He has spoken throughout these first four chapters that his wife's intimacy, that place in her body, that would, he would be the first to see, he would be the first to uh, love and make love to her. He's saying this, it's like a garden. It's like a precious place. And he says a, a garden that is, has been locked all these years, a spring of water. She is, has a spiritual chastity belt. That's an old term. But he's, she's a virgin. No man has ever been there, and he hasn't either until this time. In fact, she was guarded in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, the foxes, that would be those that are out to attack and steal and deceive, were not allowed to get in the garden. They were chased away. Because there's many times, young ladies and, and men nowadays, many times that a guy will turn on the charm and say, you're all I want. I love you. I just need to have sex with you. And, and some guys, it's just all they're after. And when that's happened, often they're gone and you're left brokenhearted. Listen closely. If you have messed up in the past, if you've broken God's laws, I got just tremendous news for every one of you. In fact, I, I, I don't know the stories and I wouldn't tell them if I did. But I can assure you that there's encore people in this room, 55 and over, that have messed up in the past and have found that the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ has washed. He can create an innocence and a purity and a joy so they can enter into marriage with the same love and joy and happiness as this couple did here. Now, a couple more verses. If you want a great marriage and a great sexual life, protect yourself. Choose. Make a decision. 
that I will keep myself pure. If you've messed up in the past, say from this day on, I'm not going to go down that road anymore. I'm worth, I'm worth someone fighting for. I'm worth waiting for. I'm worth the very best that God has for me. So this groom is absolutely thrilled now because he is somewhere that he's never been before. Verse 15, you're a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from the mountains of Lebanon. Absolutely beautiful. And then verse 16, finally, he's been talking all the time. He's just talking her up. He's blown her mind with just how much he's adored her. She's like, wow, man. And all of a sudden, she says to him, awake, north wind. That means you're strong. Awake, south wind. That means you're gentle. And he, when she says awake, I'm sure he's like, dude, this, this has got to be heaven, you know. And, and so she, she calls and, and, and begins to speak uh, the, the welcoming of his love and the welcoming of his intimacy. And uh, so she gives herself to her man, an amazing thing. A woman once said, whoever wrote the book, The Song of Solomon, understood a woman. And that's how women want to be treated. Listen, I'm wrapping this up now. In what we've just read, is God for or against sex when it's done on his terms, biblical terms? He's absolutely for it. He's created it to be one of the greatest joys and intimacy we could ever know in our life. We think we wrote the book on sex, but we don't have a clue. Some ladies, after reading this, might say, you know, I'm as cold as a fish. Guys would say, I thought I was a lover. I don't have a clue. But God can restore at any level, and he wants to do that. Now, I just want to ask you before we wrap this up, we're going to have another worship song, and then we're going to all pray together in a minute. But, but are you okay with what's been said here? Are you, does it, anybody just want, I don't want an amen, but necessarily. God created you, male or female, created you to want to be loved and needy, created you even with the desires for intimacy. But when they get out of the bounds of his perfect will, they become destructive, and uh, his grace is here to touch every life. So listen to this. The last verse I'm going to read is the first verse of chapter 5. He says, I've come to my garden, my treasure, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten a honeycomb, and I have drunk my wine and my milk, and, and milk, wine and milk. And a new voice comes on the scene. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. I think that voice is God. God was there all along. And he's saying to them, this is my plan for your life. Would you bow your heads for a moment, please? I have, uh, I have performed over 175 weddings in my uh, career as a pastor. And uh, everyone has been a joy to me. Not all of them have been from the best situations, but out of those many, many weddings, I've seen so many whose lives were once just all beat up because of the damage that sexual sin will do. And I've seen brides' faces gleaming. I've seen strong men, good men, faces beaming as they are entering into marriage. And I just want to pray with you just for a moment. You're hearing this from they call me Papa John. I don't own any pizza companies, but they call me Papa John. Just want to pray, God, these young people are so precious. They're sitting here today so respectfully. 
as they've listened to your word. Lord, I haven't said anything that isn't scripture, that isn't your, your word and your purpose. God, I ask you to put a dream in the heart of each young man and woman, a dream in their heart of walking close to you, of living a life that's strong in the Holy Spirit. The young guys treating young girls respectfully and carefully and gently. And young women being respectful and, and, and just good in, in, in relationships with young men. I pray, Lord, that a call from heaven will settle down on each young man and woman in here. Some of them are younger. Some of them are closer to dating, courting, marriage. I pray, God, that you'll protect them. Jesus, let your blood wash where it needs to be. Lord, let your Holy Spirit fill them. Lord, give them the power to live differently. Lord, the Hollywood would laugh me to, they'd laugh me under the table for what I said today. The culture would say, what kind of an idiot are you? But God, your ways are best. The pathway to a wonderful future is your pathway. Just ask God right now in Jesus' name that you help each young person settle these issues in their heart and choose life. Choose to walk with Jesus. Choose one day to have a crazy honeymoon like the couple we looked at in the scriptures tonight. I ask this in Jesus' name.